I have this memory that a friend of mine, she got a controller remote car. And for me, that was the most amazing thing because you have the car and it's moving over there and no cables or anything. And the thing I wanted the most was disassemble it and see how it works. I'm Shannon Fernando, and you're listening to This Is Lasan, a podcast all about amplifying the voices of incredible change makers across the Lasan community. Our guest today is Daphine Solis, a PhD candidate in the mechanical engineering department at Lasan. Daphine is an innovator, an educator, and a researcher who has seamlessly blended the worlds of mechanical engineering and biology. She's here to share her captivating story and shed light on the groundbreaking field of 4D bioprinting. Hello, Daphne. How are you doing today? Hi, Shana, and I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm really good. It's amazing to actually be doing this podcast episode with you. Oh, it's really a pleasure to be part of it. So I have to ask, what really got you excited about mechanical engineering? Since as a kid, I really like to know how things works. And I have this memory that a friend of mine, she got a controller remote car. And for me, that was the most amazing thing because you have the car and it's moving over there and no cables or anything. And the thing I wanted the most was disassemble it and see how it works. So I think I always had the thing inside me, like learning how we can do things and how do they work. So I think that's what ended up pushing me easily to mechanical engineering. That is actually so cool. Now, Actually, talking more about your past and your childhood, you're originally from Brazil. Could you tell us more about your time there, such as your undergrad, your master's, and working for an engineering company? Sure. My undergrad, I made in a public university in Brazil. For those universities, they're fully funded by government, so we pay no tuition or anything. But as you can expect, it's really hard to get into them. And they also have, like, the best professors. So it was a Amazing experience. I really like it, my undergrad years. Um, slightly different from here, as I can see, like it's five years older than four. And we are teaching more about how to adapt things because there's less funding, so it's harder to get things. And we also learn more responsibility overall. So I think if I would compare a recent grad for mechanical engineering from here and from Brazil, Usually we are, have more pressure under us and like there is no accommodations that we can do. So you got sick during the test day, you lost it. They, they will not try to help you anyhow. So I think pushes a little bit more, not in exactly in a good way. Same thing for my masters. I made in the same university and resources were hard to get. Uh, was really nice. I learned a lot about making adaptations and trying to work with what I have. But I had the feeling that I could use my time so much better if I don't need to keep struggling to little things. And that's how it came to my mind. I finished my master's, I'm gonna get some experience outside. And if I will do a PhD and I really wanted to do a PhD, I'm gonna do abroad. I don't wanna do here because it's. I already know how it works. I already learn the process. I, I want to try something different. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Now, you were talking about like wanting to go abroad for your PhD. Um, so what made you decide to come to Lausanne to pursue your PhD? Uh, when I decided, okay, I'm going to do a PhD and I'm going to do outside, I just had many days in which I sit with a cup of coffee 
and I was just browsing universities worldwide, trying to find one that has a nice research, which I would fit, which I have like a, a good background to work with. And I found York. And York itself was very attractive by all the politics they have about inclusion of new students and the large number of international students. Even from Brazil, I already feel kind of embraced for it. And then I went more specifics for La Sonde, and the research seemed so exciting, the opportunities. Things where my background don't fully fit. Uh, like right now I'm working with thermoresponsive hydrogels and this, all this 4D bioprinting stuff. And my background has no relation with it. I was working with 3D printing basic process. So I had a curiosity that same thing that made me start in mechanical engineering. And I look at all of that, say, so I want to try it, and hopefully it works. It must have been a big adjustment moving all the way to Canada. Can you tell us more about your experience? Moving to Canada was probably the riskier thing I ever did. Because <laughs> um, I had I, when I moved, I didn't know anyone. Uh, my family was quite far. It's a, from my hometown, here is a 12 hours flight. This is the faster track, and it's more than one stop. Uh, so I didn't know anyone. I, I never had been in Canada before, and I was just moving by myself. Everything that I had in two large suitcases, and I was so excited uh, that it was so, oh, everything is new, a new culture, and talking English with everyone, that's, everything is new. I was very excited. And I think one of the things I was most excited about actually was the winter which seems foolish since I'm from a tropical country. And I clearly didn't have clothes for it. I remember using all my winter clothes during the fall. And when winter finally arrives, it was cold. I need to go some shopping and learn about how to deal with winter. But I have very clear the memory on the first time I saw snow, because we have no snow back home. And was I wake up in the morning and there was accumulated snow. I was so excited. I put up all the clothes that I had I went downstairs and a video called my mom. And I was like, look, mom, it's, it's snowing. And she couldn't see anything in the video. <laughs> it was still dark outside. Uh, I was still very excited to make a teeny little snowman on top of a trash can and keep walking in the snow just because I loved the sound. So I had all these like new memories that kids in here have it. And I think they forget after a while. But for me, they were very special. So I could enjoy a lot. And then COVID hits. Not the best time, but it's still a nice experience, and I would certainly do it again. I mean, I've been in Canada <laughs> my entire life, and when I see it snow, it's like it's the first time for me, <laughs> so I can I 100% relate. Um, actually, taking a step back, you mentioned 4D bioprinting, so I'm sure many of our listeners, including myself, have never heard of that before. Um, so can you give us a brief introduction into what bioprinting is and how it works? Sure. Um, I can keep talking about it for a very long time. <laughs> Let me know if I go too deep. But um, we have 3D printing, the standard process. I think they're very well known. You just put material layer and layer, one on the top of the other, and you have a 3D object. Uh, every time you're trying to apply it for bioapplications, it turns into bioprinting. So it varies from instead of using filaments or plastic, you can use some ball of cells and bioplot them on top of each other, so you produce live tissues. That's bioprinting. But bioprinting also involves, for example, producing medical models. 
And then you just need to have the patient data and you produce a model to assess the surgeon during the surgery. And for those ones, you can use printers like sandbox ones. Why the other ones will demand biosafety standards, control of temperature and atmosphere. So all of that's bioprinting basically. But still, if you really want to use it to mimic and try to reproduce human organs and stuff, we need to give some extra steps. And if you think in like almost any part of our body, one of the main characteristics is that they are responsive. So they, they're not always in the same way. If we were just seated right now, our blood vessels have a certain diameter. But if you just stand up and start doing burpees, they will need to dilatate so we have more blood flow. So they are responsive to a stimulus. And this is just one example. Almost everything inside us is responsive to a stimulus. And that's when we add the 40. So it basically stands for the addition of time as a dimension, an extra dimension. So the structures you print, they don't have the final shape after you remove from the printer. Every time you apply a certain sort of stimulus, they will be responsive, changing their properties over time. So it brings them even closest to natural human tissues. And that's why it's so exciting for me researching this area. That is so cool. Like, I just find it very interesting that the combination of two vastly different fields, such as biology and mechanical engineering, um, what inspired you to do a type of research that integrates both different types of fields? I think it's the same thing as like the control remote cards, my curiosity about things. As uh, soon as I start finding about, oh, so we can actually try to produce artificial organs and we pretty much need them. Um, since it's in between two areas, you find there's a huge gap in things that need answers for and, and solutions that need to be found. And for me, it was so exciting. All of this, like learning a lot, because I had all the manufacturing and materials background. I could work with that pretty well. So my first years were easier because I was doing what I already kind of know what to do. And then I need to validate this work and make sure it is bioapplicable. And that's the moment that cells get into my equation. And I had no knowledge. I didn't know how to deal with cells. I didn't know how they look like when you're dealing with them. Uh, so in the last years, I spent quite of a time with life science building, culturing cells and learning all the process about it. And it's, it's exciting. Um, I committed some mistakes. I killed them twice at least by contaminations and other issues that I wasn't worried about when I was dealing the first time. But I learned a lot and I think it really opened my mind to more possibilities of what can be done in this area. I think everyone should try to move their research to these gray zones between areas because it's really exciting. Actually, that actually leads in perfectly to my next question. How do you think 4D bioprinting will shape the future of the medical field? This probably will be a bios answer for myself because I really love everything related to 4D bioprinting, but I think we'll be leading everything we try to produce because you have high personalization rates and every time you think in bioapplication, you need a specific product for each person and it, it's really easy through this process. You have right resolution, so, and, and you can really vary the material as there's so much things to work with I think will be one of the main technologies, but that's just my opinion that we've been researching it for four years. 
I mean, that is so cool. I've been reading up a lot about you and your different articles that are written about you. And actually, one of the things I read about you was your internship at the National Research Council of Canada's Advanced Materials Research Facility in Ottawa. Um, that must have been such an inspiring experience. Could you tell us more about it? Sure. So I did this internship in 2022 during the summer. Uh, I spent four months working in there. And they, I was dealing with volumetric printing over there, so it's slightly different from my technology I use for my research. And now it's my favorite <laughs> technology for 3D printing. You basically have a vial with the material can be photocured, so it can be a biomaterial. We made it sometimes with biomaterials or resin. And you just know like on sci-fi movies when they have those holograms with light, you just project an hologram inside a vial with the material and it cures. Wow, that is so cool. It takes seconds for you to produce a part. So it's finally all the sci-fi things about 3D printing in which you can just do a new hand for someone in seconds. It's, it's the closest as we are right now. <laughs> so it was really nice. And once again, it's the technology still in development. You don't have those machines like commercial machines. So being able to work with such a brand new stuff, was really excited. We actually got uh, last year a paper accepted about that work, so I'm really proud about the time. Before we keep talking about sci-fi, because I will get ahead of myself talking about sci-fi, let's actually switch the gears a little bit. You've been a teaching assistant at Lausanne, as well as a professor at Humber College. Um, can you actually talk about your experience in these roles? Um, I love all of them, and they're quite different, because at Lausanne, I'm teaching mainly laboratories, so both solid mechanics and thermofluid labs. They are pretty practical classes. So it's easier in a certain way because students are actually doing things. You just need to give them guidance. I always start my classes trying to prove them why the knowledge you're getting today is important. And if you could only had one thing that you would learn, please learn this thing. So they have pretty good guidelines on what they're doing. And then they're just doing experiments. And you give them like minimum help just to avoid someone to get hurt and they're gonna learn by themselves so i really love this type of learning at humber i don't have practical classes but most probably my favorite one right now is teamwork and leadership it's a first year class and i feel that some students don't think that it's not important it's i have calculus to worry about and it's it's fun for me to prove to them that if one of them is really, really good in calculus, they may not get a job, but if they can work as a team, it's, the probabilities are higher. So it is really important as a soft skill. And it's still, I try to make it as dynamic as possible. And the biggest challenge that I really like, it's right in the beginning when you have new students, sometimes kind of a new generation with different interests, how are you gonna adapt those classes to these new students? How are you gonna make them feel that they need to pay attention to it and have interest. What initially sparked your interest in teaching? I used to play with my older sister about school and we were little teachers from each other in our stuff toys. But I think what really, really made me want to teach was the bad professors I have during university time. Because <laughs> I see myself as a good student. I always attended class, I seated and tried to pay the most of attention. But for a large part of them, I, I wasn't understanding what was going on. I didn't even know why I should be learning that, when I would apply that knowledge. 
And the worst feeling was after I did tests. And when I left, they're like, I'm not going to remember any of this in weeks. So did I actually learn? And I spent a huge amount of time on it. I, something is wrong. And I had <laughs> a very strong feeling that something, something was not right in the way I was being taught and everyone else. Um, sometimes, like my other colleagues, they ask something that I already, of course, I already did one year ago and I didn't remember. Yeah. So I was like, no, 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 no. Some, something is wrong with invocation for these ones. At the same point, I had first year professors that gave me amazing classes. I was so delighted to be there and I remember everything until now. So I had a feeling for some of them, and I remember these thought during classes like, I could teach better than what you do. <laughs> I don't have the same technical knowledge for sure, not even now, but you're not really trying to teach us. You're just repeating the book. So I think I got like angry somehow. And I thought, like, I can do better, but I need to prove myself I can do better. And for some time, actually, I had a teeny little issue about teaching. It was right when I started because I couldn't talk in public. It's quite of a problem. So I really need to try and learn. I made a specific classes just for like talking in public. And it helped me a lot and try to understand how can I explain something to someone else or how should I adapt what I'm saying for the people I'm talking to. And that helped me a lot. And I think just like grow it more and like, okay, I can actually do a better work than some of them. Um, and I think that's how like bring all of this and just grow more and more every year I'm teaching, I'm trying to adapt to the students and like give them better classes. And I, I think just increase my passion for teaching. So you're talking about helping those students out to learn different lessons. Were there any lessons that you learned from your students? Yes. Um, technologies for sure. Sometimes I'm trying to explain something and they just came with like a, so much tinger example or some technology that can solve the problem. I really love when they help me with this type of stuff. And overall, I think I always need their help to be able to explain to them. Uh, some of my classes, I had examples which were related to like my life. And I kind of thought that will fit for everyone. And they fastly showed me that, no, we don't know what you're talking about, lady but they bring their own examples and I can use those examples to improve for next ones. And I, I really like my students. I always try to be involved with them in a way that it's easier for them to come talk with me because I need their help to improve my classes as much as they may or not need me to teach them. <laughs> I mean, completely understand. Actually, leading on to that, how did your personal experience as a student, I mean, you were talking about this earlier, help you approach to educating others? I think the most important thing is make them feel that it's, you need to learn. Even if you're learning for yourself, during university, I had, how was it? Fluid mechanics. As soon as I started, I was like, okay, let's see what fluid mechanics is about. And I didn't know the classes were just a bunch of equations and Raynor numbers and how water flow through pipes. And it was like, I don't know why I need to learn this. So I had no interest and was really struggling until I find one paper, one publication of a lady that she was using the same sort of content to analyze how tattoos age. So she could analyze how your tattoo is going to be after some years based on fluid mechanics. And I was like, okay, so this is interesting. Now I want to learn. 
So I think creating this spark somehow is what's going to make you be able to actually learn. Even if you don't need the full thing, but you just need some sort of interest that you're going to be like, okay, maybe I need to learn it so I can learn something that will actually be what I'm looking for. And I think if you're learning or teaching someone that sparkling is the first thing that you need to find to keep them attention. And after that, just keep it everything dynamic. We are not adapted to keep looking at lectures that take three hours just with like words and slides. So all those things that people say, like the new generation have no focus. I don't, I don't believe so. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm from the 90s, so I'm not part of this generation, but they can stay hours looking at their cell phones or watching movies in the same way. So as long as you keep whatever you're trying to teach interesting enough and not maybe that dense or keeping them breaks, they're going to pay attention and they're going to be fun. I mean, you definitely do have the spark. You've received multiple awards for your teaching here at Lausanne, including the MEC Teaching Excellence Award, and most recently, the President's University-wide Teaching Award during the convocation. How did it feel to receive these awards? It's really special. See all your work being like, people are seeing how much work you're putting in it, and it's been considered good work. So for the, 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 the MEC one, I was already super excited. Because I always put a lot of effort in my students. I really try to adapt to everything. But getting the university teaching award, that was really a surprise for me. I, my supervisor was like, you're really good. We should try. I was like, it's all TAs from all York. I'm pretty sure people better than me. So it was so surprising. And receiving the prize was such a special moment. Um, being in the front with everyone during the convocation. And, and hearing everything they're saying, it was, I was felt so special, so loved. It was, was one of the best moments from last year. But did those awards and did those experiences help confirm your decision in pursuing a teaching career? Yes. I I'm, I'm have this very strong with me. I think I'm going to become a professor. But still, from my experience from the professors I had, I don't feel like going directly for this uh, now that I finished my PhD. I want to gain the experience from industry and know what real world needs and then back to teaching because I think then I will be the best professor that my students may have. I mean, I have great hope that you will be a great professor. Um, besides your teaching and your research, uh, you're also a part of the Biomaterials Society in Toronto. Could you highlight why this society is amazing for Lausanne students? Yes. So this society, we have them all over Canada. And actually, Toronto chapter took a long time to merge among the members from the executive committee. I'm the only one from York, and I'm always trying to bring more events and more things for York. Because it's biomaterials. A lot of people may not know, but their research and their applications can be used as a biomaterial. And having everyone aboard, it help you with knowledge that you don't have. For example, I'm a mechanical engineer and other members are from bioscience. And one of the struggles I was having during my PhD, I actually mentioned with them, and they gave me a solution which for them was kind of obvious. I had no idea about it. <laughs> and I was like, I, I would try it, and it was exactly what they mentioned. So having all this connection with people with different backgrounds in such an interdisciplinary area helps a lot. And also, it's a stronger group. So we're trying to get everyone more like scholarships and making small events, such as like three notices or photography prizes. So you can see our work going for somewhere and have help for everyone. 
So the biomaterial society is something that I'm really passionate about, and I hope to see even more Lausanne students there. I mean, I do too. And I mean, we're nearing the end here, but I really want to ask you, your dedication and passion for helping other students is quite inspiring. Uh, what advice would you give to students facing similar challenges that you faced when you encountered in your educational journey? Um, I think that sometimes it's hard, but you need to give a step back. Uh, many times you're just pushing on finishing things and getting done and you don't feel like going back, but sometimes you need it. And just like for, for my, my classes in Brazil, sometimes I was not understanding anything, what was going on, why do I need to learn? So forget about it for a moment, find your interest, find what you really like about it, try to solve basic problems of your understanding. Maybe you're not understanding something that's harder because you don't have some easier background, talk with others, ask for help, share your knowledge with others. Maybe something that's obvious for you would help someone that's really struggling with something. I think having all these connections and this network helps a lot. And yeah, keep your curiosity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, similarly, uh, what advice would you have for girls and women who are interested in pursuing STEM fields? Go for it. <laughs> but, but be aware, it's not easy as it should be, there will be some people that feel uncomfortable about having powerful women at STEAM. As foolish as it can be, don't even try to understand. Just keep your passion, do what you like. Don't listen for, for the things they say about, oh, maybe it's not a female field or something. I actually had a teacher in my high school, final year, uh, you know, they're asking what you're going to do after this. Are you going to college? And so like, yes, I'm going to do mechanical engineering at university. And, and she actually asked me, a high school teacher asked me, isn't this a male field? And I was like, no, that's it's for <laughs> everyone. They don't, they don't have anything about gender. But yeah, this kind of people are there. You're going to find some kind of restraints, but you can do it. So I think that our women should go for what they love. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to hear about your experiences. Thank you so much for having me. He was really nice to share with you. That was so inspiring. From her time in Brazil to endeavors at Lausanne and beyond, Daphne's story reminds us that the pursuit of knowledge knows no bounds. Until next time, this is Lausanne.